The one thing that has been way harder than I thought was just how hard it is to drive change. And I think particularly in accounting, they don't like change. So for me, it's really been a challenge and I've had to lead to like get their buy-in, slow down, pick my battles and try to create credibility where I can. Welcome to the Small Business Mentor Podcast, where we shine a light on the black holes of business growth with your host, Alan Pence. In each episode, we explore the leaps and bounds entrepreneurs make as they push their businesses beyond the 1 million mark into the realm of professional sustainable growth. Stay with us as we navigate the journey from brute force to finesse. Today, we have Patrick Dichter with us. He is a seasoned entrepreneur and owner of Apple Tree Business Services, which specializes in accounting and bookkeeping services. He's actually been an acquisition entrepreneur, so bought three companies now, and he's focused on financial management, accounting, and small business growth. And beyond his professional accolades, Patrick has a passion for fly fishing. We just made the move from Colorado out to New Hampshire on the seacoast. So Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you. So give us a quick background from what you were doing before, because you were in small business consulting, it sounded like, and then tell us just how you bought the first company. Yeah, sure. So I am not an accountant by trade, so I'll just get that out of the way. But after undergrad and MBA, I worked for seven years at a digital marketing startup and I led sales teams all over the country. Really enjoyed that. And then for three years, I did small business consulting and coaching, and we were trying to help people run their business smarter and grow it and save their time. And most of my clients had terrible bookkeeping, and I was always referring out bookkeeping. And then I started to hear more and more about people that buy businesses. And then I thought, what if I bought an accounting firm? And so the more I looked at it, the more excited I got. And then I went on a journey and it took 10 or 11 months ultimately to find a deal and buy it. So I'm coming up on two years here since I bought the first firm at Apple Tree. And then since then, you bought a couple others, right? Yeah, did a couple more acquisitions in accounting as well. So give us kind of a picture. You know, you work with a lot of small business owners. Like, what's the level of financial knowledge that these owners have when you first get to them? It's pretty basic. I think most were just looking at their bank account like a piggy bank. So if they're running a landscaping business or a marketing agency, they'll just say, oh, I've got 30 grand in there today, or I've got five grand in there today, or... I am bouncing checks. I'm about to bounce payroll. I need to go get paid by Bob so that I can meet payroll. And I think at a high level, they understand like, okay, if I sell this website for 5,000, you know, maybe I should keep my costs in half. And they're maybe using QuickBooks, but it's like a DIY and they might have a tax pro. So that was typically what I saw is like no regular bookkeeping being done and just kind of like a gut feel or looking at what's in their bank account, which is I think that's where everyone starts, but that's probably the most common state. I feel like you're describing me when I was telling you about how I got started. I was like, oh my God, we started losing money. What happened here? It's like, oh, you have to project stuff. So what do you think the biggest company you've ever seen revenue-wise that kind of had that situation going on? Probably some that were like 10, 12 million a year. That seems scary, right? I mean, the numbers get big there. Or it just means that it's like that good of a business that they don't that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, so much cash comes in, they don't care, right? I feel like once the numbers get big like that, it's pretty scary to not have a handle on what's happening. So I'm a $1 million business. I walk in the door, like, what do I need to be doing? What are you telling me that I need to do, you're doing for me, and then what does that get me 
what's the advantage? Yeah. So I'd say typically with a $1 million business, they're probably using QuickBooks. Maybe they have a bookkeeper, they have a tax person, and they might be debating an S-corp election, or maybe they are one. And usually when we start talking to them, it's because they feel like they want an upgrade in their accounting or they want more tax advice because suddenly they had like one or two profitable years and had some bad tax surprises. So usually what we're talking to them about is like, at least our model is like, hey, we do year round accounting and tax. We vulnerable keeping the tax together so that, you know, you have a clear picture of where your business is at and we can be more proactive with your taxes. So that's our model. And then if I really wanted to like wrap my arms around that client, like I'd want that person to start to understand their cash flow conversion cycle or their unit economics, or just start to develop the muscle memory of understanding their financials and trying to look forward a little bit. I applaud that. So when you see someone going past a million, where do you start seeing like, hey, you really got to do the forecasting and the other pieces of it and look at cost analysis and stuff like that? Does that come in more like five? I honestly think you don't have to do it until you're like four or five million in revenue in a service business. I think it's a nice to have, but you do need some sound bookkeeping. Right. I saw it in my business. I probably had a gut feel for how much, you know, we needed to charge and what we could charge and that'd be profitable when I was like a million, couple million bucks, right? I didn't do a very good job like categorizing my expenses. So I would have tax surprises like you mentioned. But when you start getting up to four or five, I feel like it's time to start looking at like, hey, are all my projects profitable or all my clients, what type of clients are profitable and which ones aren't and what should I sell more of and less of? And so that's sort of how you see it when people get a little bigger. Yeah, that's really the big unlock is like what you think it is versus what it actually is. And when you get to that size, usually you can turn a couple knobs and they make a big difference. So you'll say like, wow, like these ones are way more profitable than those other ones. What's the difference? Well, maybe on those ones we did a paid discovery call. So we really understood our scope better. And then you learn the impact of that. Or these ones, we end up not being as profitable and it's because the people on those projects take way too much time. So those are the types of things where when you look at like how profitable do you think you are versus actually, that's a huge insight. And I think another one is benchmarking. If you have a good PL, you can compare to other people in your industry and say like, okay, for other people who are in government contracting, like how does my margin compare to theirs or how much I'm spending on marketing compared to theirs and really help you improve. Do you guys actually do that with clients? Like sit down and talk them through this and help them do the projections and do the benchmarking and stuff like that? Most of them, no. So our lane is like really like the blocking and tackling of bookkeeping and tax. We have a subset of clients who are content creators and course creators where we do benchmarking with them. But we do a little bit of consulting work, but this is maybe with like 10% of our clients. The majority of them, they either aren't interested or they aren't quite there yet. But if I was most familiar, I'd want that. And I, I saw it kind of in my previous role, but no, for 90% of our clients, we're doing good bookkeeping and we're doing good tax planning. It's interesting. Cause I feel like, yeah, like I always trying to get our accountants to give us like a picture of like, help me understand, are these numbers good? Are they bad? Help me figure out what levers I have. It's completely different muscles. Like most accountants are great at looking backwards and like finding why the puzzle is broken, find that one missing piece, get you good historical financials. But then if you were to look forward, it's really hard for them to do something that's like abstract or like to put on an optimist hat and say, what if we grew by 50%, what would happen? 
So usually you find people maybe a finance background or there's some accounts who broke out and then got into internal roles or somebody with a non-accounting background that, that wears that board hat, but it's hard to get somebody that does both well. So it's like a cultural thing with the person, like the person you hire to double check taxes 15 times or whatever it is, isn't going to be the person who's going to be like, Hey, you have this opportunity. If you shift these things around and make a lot more money, right? I kind of felt like when we started moving past that five up to like 10, that's when we really needed a lot of that more basic financial analysis, I guess you would call it rather than the tax paying moved into the background. And so was that sort of sense you get as well? Yes. It becomes even more important because a five to $10 million business is has more overhead and it's just slower moving than a small business, right? So if, if you hire three consultants and then suddenly you're overextended, you'd need to fix that. But when it's like you and one other person, you're still nimble enough, like you can figure it out and make payroll. But yeah, when it's five to 10 million, you have to look further ahead and there's just, there's more at stake. Do you see clients taking it in-house at a certain point? Yeah, we've had that where they decide they want somebody full-time on their staff. And I think that's a natural progression. Yeah. Well, I think my sense is good bookkeeping is like the beginning of everything. Counting is a language of business. And so if the language is garbled, it's impossible to speak it. And so another tweet you had, I thought was really interesting is you kind of started talking about owners who are at that retirement age. And I kind of felt like this applied across the board. They have a bunch of advisors and all the advisors have like different motivations. And I thought it was really interesting because like in the service, you're in the service industry, I'm in the service industry and uh, professional services. And I've started writing some stuff recently about one of the upgrades you've got to do as an owner. Like we talk a lot about, hey, you've got to upgrade your leadership team and your staff as you grow up because what got you here won't get you there. And then I've been thinking a lot about that's true for service providers as well. The service provider that got me to one to five might not be the one at 20. And the kind of services change. So I got thought this was kind of an interesting tweak on that. So just describe what you were kind of getting at there. If an owner is probably a couple of years away from wanting to sell, they're still probably in the mindset of like, I hate taxes. I don't want to pay taxes. And their tax pro is probably like, let's minimize your taxes. And if they're talking to a business broker, the business broker is probably going to say, show as much as you can for taxable income, because every dollar of profit that you show is going to get us three, four, five X, whatever that is when you sell. And then their financial advisor is probably like, give me as much as you can towards investing in retirement now, because we need to build up your nest egg. And then if they have one more person, you know, maybe they have a business coach or consultant who's saying like, let's hire more, let's invest in your system so that this thing runs without you. And they might try to extend the window. And then I jokingly said, and their spouse is like, sell it, come play pickleball with me every week. So there's just kind of a tug of war of like, reducing taxes versus maximizing taxes for the sale versus like how much to invest versus like where your time is spent and what the time horizon is. And I assume you've seen some clients struggling in between these different priorities. I mean, I guess my sense is why I, I took from it too, is like, I think that's true almost all the time, right? Your financial advisor always wants you to give them more AUM to manage and your accountant always wants to lower your taxes and other people want you to invest in the leadership, you know, blah, blah, blah. So. I think from my perspective, it's really important that you do, in addition to looking at the motivations of all the people involved, like really do that review. Every time you're looking at your leadership team and thinking, is this the right leadership team I've got? I think you should be looking at your professional services vendors and probably everything else too. But I do think 
in particular, those professional services vendors are like some of the key people that are going to help you get to the next level. So let's talk a little bit about you getting into this. So you talked about you were in digital marketing and then doing small business consulting, saw this issue, right? So talk about going from there to like what the search was like to find something. I started to think about all the accounting work that I was referring out and trying to buy an accounting firm. And for seven years, I, I was at a digital marketing agency and we grew it from zero to 35 million. There's a lot of commonalities with accounting firm and a marketing agency, but an accounting firm has a lot of things I like better. The clients are stickier. I think the margin's a little bit better. And I'm competing with people who aren't as good at business versus like marketing agency owners, I think are tend to be more like entrepreneurial, more sharp. Whereas like most tax firms are people who hang a shingle, but aren't that good at running a business. So yeah, I went looking initially for like a pure bookkeeping company and then ended up buying a firm that does bookkeeping and tax. And it was such a roller coaster, you know, to like figure things out, find deals, have deals fall apart, and then ultimately get that one across the finish line. Were you working while you were doing it? Yeah. So I was working and, you know, searching nights, weekends and trying to make it happen. And then how did you find the follow-ons after you got there? The first one I bought, I found by cold emailing, like I cold emailed 500 firms and then everything changed. Everyone looks at you differently once you own a firm. So the second one knew the first guy I bought from was in the same association and he approached me. And so that was like, great. And then the other one, they had listed their firm online themselves and they were about to go to a broker and I found it and like, I kept bugging them and then finally met with them and bought that one. So definitely easier once you already had a firm. Yes, totally. I wonder why that is. So they just feel like, oh, this person's more serious and they're not just kicking tires. Yeah. I think they take you more seriously. Banks look at you as just easier to work with. I move a lot faster on anything that I think is good because I have that industry knowledge. And do you see acquisition? Is that like the key growth lever or is it just a part of the strategy? It's a part of it. It definitely helped me get some critical mass the first couple of years, but tuck-ins are so much work, you know, like integration is just so painful. Yeah. Cause you're just walking into the culture and you're kind of adapting to it, right. Versus melding two together. Yeah. You have to build the payroll software and the bookkeeping software and the tax software and the way you build clients. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. So we'll see if I do more like this year, I passed on a couple and maybe next year I might do some more, but we're growing pretty well organically. So time will tell if I end up doing any more acquisition. And did you bank finance everything? Yeah, two of the deals I used uh, SBA financing. One of them was like all seller financing and then put some of my own cash in to each one as well. How fast did you go back out and buy something? You bought the first one with SBA, right? Yeah, I don't recommend this, but I bought the second one like seven months later. And then the third one was like two or three months after that. And you were feeling pretty good, I guess, at the time you did the second and third? Yeah, the second one was small, so it was easy and very similar. And then the third one was probably a bigger roll of the dice to try to do another one that quickly. And they all did most of the things you underwrote turn out the way they... Absolutely not. We did it close on an acquisition last week for some guys. And I'm, so they're at week one. So I'm kind of, I'm coming up with some good content to help them. Oh yeah. You model, you think you know what you're doing. And then like the next day it, it's wrong. So the first one went better than expected. Really good client retention, raised prices a bit. Second one's gone well. Now that we're into it, some of those clients are not all the clients that we want. The third one I thought was going to be a home run and it, it just hasn't gone well. So there was some client concentration that hurt us. We didn't do some things right with the transition. And some of these clients were in an industry that has struggled the past couple of years. So like they were looking to cut costs. 
that one has not gone nearly as well as the other ones. I think that's an interesting take, right? Like underwriting the clients themselves and what their industry is doing. If you have a lot of concentration and you have a specialty, I think a lot of people don't think about that in a professional services firm because a lot of times they have a diverse client base. And sure, the economy goes down, you're going to get hurt, but mostly you don't think like, oh, they have all manufacturing clients and manufacturing just got killed. Tell us a little bit about like integrating and like, you know, it's an educated kind of field, all college degrees, people, CPAs and stuff like that. So like, are there any lessons learned from like blending cultures with that, maybe that higher level employee? The one thing that has been way harder than I thought was just how hard it is to, to drive change. And I think particularly in accounting, they just, they don't like change. So for me, it's really been a challenge and I've had to lead to like, get their buy-in, slow down, pick my battles and try to create credibility where I can. So previously you know, I'd worked with salespeople and entrepreneurs who were like, rah, rah, let's go climb the mountain, like, let's go break stuff. And then most accountants, they really don't like change at all. And they're, they're already kind of overworked. Here I am coming in saying like, let's change software, let's do different processes. So I've had to learn to get their buy-in and slow down a little bit. That's been the biggest thing with integration. That happens with everybody. I had to learn how to do that too. I'm kind of curious on this. I didn't realize you had started at this digital marketing at zero to 35 million, you said. So what were you doing there? Were you like, you started when it was zero? Just a backstory there. I had sold door to door in college through this kind of unique program. And the guy who founded that company had done the same thing like 15 years prior. He had a different company that did well. And then when Google Maps became Google Places, he started a new venture and he's like, let's go do local SEO for small business. And he wanted to go sell it outbound. So he was like, Hey, come help us figure out the sales process. We want to grow nationwide. And so I was the guinea pig and my job was to go figure out the sales process. So we would go walk in person into businesses, walk into the dentist, the chiropractor, the auto repair shop, the law firm and set an appointment in person and then come back with an iPad and like talk to them about SEO and pay-per-click and stuff like that. So I was the first sales rep. And then by the time I left, we probably had a sales force of like a hundred people. So that launched in Columbus, Ohio. I helped launch like other markets all over the country and like led sales orgs. It was fun. It was a good run. So you were there early, early days. So how did you see that business change over the years? The first year or two, we had to do so much education. And like, literally this was 2011. We're still selling against the phone book and like trying to convince people that like they needed something besides a website. Then, you know, a lot more competitors came into the market. And it honestly, it was just a matter of like being consistent and being disciplined and like getting new appointments and the, the business was there. So business owners became more educated and maybe more willing to buy, but there were more competitors that were trying to compete for their digital marketing dollars. Yeah. Well, it seems to me like, is your sense that the overall effectiveness of the advertising space has gone down just as like everybody's advertising, right? It becomes like an arms race that no one can win. Depends on the channel. I think direct to consumer and like info products are really hurting the past year. If they were trying to do like Facebook and Instagram ads, I think there's still some channels that are really effective and you always have to be like testing new things and trying new things. Yeah. It kind of feels exhausting to me. I'll never forget. There was a HVAC contractor, you know, he had been in business like 30 years and he's like, tell me, he's like, you know, I used to have my own print facility in the back and we'd print mailers to houses and like, that was our only marketing. He's like, but I figured out how to design that one thing that worked. And he's like, now I have to understand internet and I have to understand radio and I have to understand TV and I have to understand how to route my vehicles. And like, 
it was just a conversation that I'll never forget of just how well he explained like how fragmented marketing had become versus like he had crushed it with one channel for so long. I mean, I complain about the government, but I'm like super happy that I don't have to like run around and figure out how to do stuff on TikTok. Yeah. Reinvent your marketing every two years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know that guy, Chris Corner. He's like HP guy on Twitter on X. He did this thing about how he would do a home services business today. If he, I guess he owns a few and it was like crazy, the level of information marketing, like he's like, I would go figure out, I would scrape every competitor. I'd call them all, make sure, see who answered their phone, see who didn't. Then I would get into like next door, you know, look at their Google, look at Angie and all these things and like figure out where they're rated, how they're rated. And then I would go figure out what business to start based on where there was a gap and nobody was on these platforms getting rated, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, wow, basically the whole thing is digital marketing. And then he's like, yeah, just go hire guys at the Home Depot to do the work. I think it's a great way to run the analysis and just say like, where's the market? Is there a gap? Or if you can just consistently deliver, especially in home services right now, like there's plenty of demand. So is that digital marketing coming handy for you at all? Like on the mechanic side, like is your lead flow coming in from digital or is it mostly referral or how do you guys do that? Yeah, I'd say it's probably 80% digital. When I took over the firm, you know, like modernize the brand, improve the website, really focused on our Google reviews, try to put out good content and then, you know, analyze like where leads are coming from and continue to refine that each month. Oh, okay. So you applied all your lessons from digital marketing. And what's a typical client look like these days? Is it a small business owner kind of thing? So for us, it's a service-based business, you know, whether it's like professional services or home services, typically 250K in revenue up to 20 million, but our median is probably like a two to $3 million business. So we met on X. So tell me, what's the best thing you've learned on X from the SMB community? Man, I learned so much. My wife teasing me about it. You know, I'll say, I'm going to go grab beers with one of my friends from the internet, or like, I'm going to conference in Missouri with a bunch of my friends from the internet. The thing I love is I I can just learn in like bite-sized pieces, you know, versus having to read a whole book. Maybe somebody does a deep dive. Mike Bakken was talking about like how to do an acquisition with like a service structure that wasn't even like an acquisition. And I'm like, I've never even heard this, but it's just some sort of agreement where during that transition, the first 90 days, you don't have to disrupt the payroll and the EIN or something. I was like, I've never heard about this. So that's the one thing I love is just like learning in bite-sized pieces. I saw one today. Someone said that they did a asset sale because their lawyer talked them into it and it totally screwed them because like that allowed the landlord to raise the rent and like a bunch of other things reset and insurance reset and like every cost went up 40%. I was like, oh my God, I'd never even thought about that. Well, awesome. Patrick, thanks for being on today. This is fun and uh, it's great to spend some time on this with you. So if we have some small business owners who are looking for uh, tax and bookkeeping help, where, where should they reach out? Come holler on the internet. Apple Tree Business Services. So our website is appletreebusiness.com or by me on Twitter or wherever, but we'd love to connect and see if we can help. And appreciate you having me on. Appreciate it, Patrick. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Small Business Mentor Podcast brought to you by Alan Pence. For more insights on how to navigate your business through its black holes, visit at APENCE on X. Don't forget to search for Small Business Mentor in your podcast app to subscribe. Thank you for joining us and here's to your next leap in business growth.